Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic and on location. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept or premise. In this episode, we're discussing bringing your life to work and whether it's good or bad or when it's good or bad to bring your own personal interests and, uh, and things into the work environment. Uh, before we begin, let's quickly meet who's on the panel today. Hi, I'm Josh Fidel. You can find me on Twitter at JCE Fidel. I am a global senior systems engineer for VMware, specifically vSAN. Hi, I'm Liana Dotto. You can find me on Twitter at Liana Dotto, strangely enough. Uh, I am a head geek at SolarWinds, and I've been in IT for 30 years and focusing on monitoring for 20 of those. I'm uh, Jordan Martin at BC Jordan on Twitter. I'm a technical architect at Core BTS and one of the hosts over at Network Collective, which you can find at thenetworkcollective.com. Well, it's great to have you guys here. Now, all of you are here representing yourselves, not your companies, and all of you are people that I've known for a very long time um, and people that I very much respect. But all of you also are, um, let's say, um, brilliant personalities in the industry, people who bring you know themselves to their work and bring their personality to their work. And I think one of the reasons that, that this topic came up was because, uh, Leon, you just re- released a book. You just wrote a book. And um, the book is The Four Questions, and it brings together uh, basically Judaism and uh, systems monitoring, which is, uh, dare I say, kind of awesome as a collision because it really works, but also kind of risky and radical to to bring yourself to it that much. You want to talk about it a little bit? Absolutely. So the the full title is the four questions that every monitoring engineer is going to get asked. So there's that that collision. And for those people who aren't familiar, uh, the four questions is sort of a traditional part of the Passover Seder or meal. The youngest person at the table asks these four questions. And um, what I found in working in monitoring is that there are a set of questions that come up when you're doing a monitoring implementation. And so I jokingly refer to them as the four questions. And so that was sort of the the inside joke behind the title. But then I realized that Jewish uh, history and philosophy actually have a lot of bearing on standard IT practices and really good habits. And you're right, it it really was sort of a, a big question mark in my head, is anybody going to be interested in this uh, overlap between a 3,000-year-old religion and modern IT monitoring practices or not? And it, it turned out, I think, it turned out fairly well. Yes, but of course, there's always a risk that you could alienate somebody with this discussion. And, um, you know, I mean, it's it's the same with this or with anything that you could bring to work. Where do you draw the line? Uh, obviously, lines need to be drawn because we try to make the workplace as least offensive as possible. Right. But um, we do need to bring some of ourselves. It's, it's weird because... Uh, you know, you're just trying to be yourself, but then if someone takes offense, then it becomes a problem. I guess if yourself is offensive, I don't know. I mean, uh, Jordan, what do you think? Well, I think I think this is really interesting, especially with the with the book angle, because I think religion is one of those things that uh, I think most people would look at and say that's one of those lines that's a little bit blurry, right? I mean, uh, religion is is tends to be a very you know deeply ingrained part of yourself, and it, and it would be impossible for you to not bring that. Uh, as part of, uh, if you follow religion, religion, it's going to be hard to not bring that as part of what you do. Um, but in the same breath, if someone has a, a different religion or a religion that that contradicts that, um, they should be able to bring themselves to the table too without it being a constant conflict. 
So, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, what's the old rule? We don't, we don't discuss what three things we don't discuss politics. We don't discuss religion and we don't uh, discuss uh, sexuality, sexual orientation. Right. And the fourth um, one is GIF versus GIF, but mm-hmm. we'll leave that one out. No. <laughs> how about on-premise on versus on-premises? Can we oh, oh, add, oh, open that I, one out? I actually solved this one. I solved this one. It's on-prem for everything. There right. Yeah, that, that's the cop-out. <laughs> I'm all for the cop-out. So, yeah, yeah so if, if there are these topics that are supposed to be untouchable, um, and f- frankly, they're untouchable for a reason, because we as society are just incapable of dealing with things in an adult manner. <laughs> and so we uh, constantly complain and, 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 you know, take offense at things that we shouldn't. Um, you know, but then the flip side is um, sometimes, sometimes bringing those things in is okay. So I, I uh, oh, sorry. Jordan? Yeah, so so I think I think the line here is is not necessarily the topics. I think most of these things are actually completely acceptable in in a workplace environment. But the problem come, starts to become when you come into advocacy. Like I'm not there to try. To, and my my work environment is not to be sold a personal belief system, right? I don't want that at work. Um, but I don't have any problem bringing their someone bringing their personal belief system in and having it influence the way that they do their work. Uh, or even sharing some of the tenets of of why they think the way that they do. Um, I just don't want to feel like I'm 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 being trying to be you know influenced into that exact same way of thinking, uh, regardless of what those topics are. What, uh, so that's one of the things I liked about I think it was in the foreword you put down that you know Judaism does not have a history of proselytizing, um, and and I know this from members of my family. They you know, Judaism actually has kind of a velvet rope. Uh, you got to ask to be let in what three times. Yeah. Yeah. You got to say, yeah, I went in three times. Um, so I, I do like that, that the, the book is not written from a, you know, Judaism is the best ever. It's written from a, here's some of the stories uh, from the Torah, from, you know, from the Old Testament and whatnot. And, uh, you know, here's how it applies. So it's analogous, right? It's not a, uh, I see too many people getting into the, my book is better than your book argument. And, uh <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I'm just, uh, all books are good. All the books are good. Read all, all the good. books. Yes. It's- right. So I, I was concerned about that, obviously, as I was, uh, you know, putting things together. And so I very specifically in in the book, whether it's the ebook version or the physical book version, I blocked off the religious elements in, you know, visually separate so that people who were not interested at all about it could skip over it and get straight to the monitoring part, which is really the meat of the book. The the Judaism is really there as, uh, as a little bit of flavor, as a through line, as a point of interest, because let's face it, some Sometimes monitoring topics and IT topics can get a little dry. Um, but to the to everyone's point, in in the theatrical tradition, there is a character that's that is uh, used to be known as the Toby character. And if you're wondering about the Toby character, it's um, a good example of that is Crocodile Dundee. Okay, I mean we've we've had City Mouse versus the Country Mouse and things like that, but the Toby character is a country, simple sort of a bumpkin who moves into a very sophisticated environment. Uh, the big city or whatever it is, and yet their backwoods common wisdom somehow serves them as well or better than the people who are native to that sophisticated environment that allows them to thrive. Um, and what I see is that that is not such a unique or humorous or bizarre concept that a lot of times uh, you know, people who get wisdom from rock climbing, you know, who, who have a, a certain sense of uh, gets a certain sense of strength 
from rock climbing or from horseback riding or from cooking or meditation or whatever it is are able to not just coexist as you said, Jordan, it informs their work and it actually makes their work product better. The hard part when we're talking about religion, which is one of the three nuclear options, is that there is a very clear and definitive boundary line across which people don't want you to go. And it's incumbent on the speaker to understand the listener's boundary. That it's not about, well, they'll tell me to stop. No, 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 no. You've got to have a very good, you have to have a high sensitivity to what that boundary is, or else it's going to get ugly fast. Yeah, I think all these things just demand balance. Uh, when, when we talk about, you know, when we bring ourselves into work, because nobody wants everybody at work to be a robot. That's really, really, really boring, right? Like if we, if we all come in and we have absolutely no personality and nothing informed by the, the, the stuff we do outside of our job, we're all just clones. And nobody wants that from a, you know, like, I want to go work with people that are interesting, that, that bring something different than I bring to the table because of their personal experiences. But you have to, you have to, like, like Leon said, you have to be aware of where other people's boundaries are. And if you don't know where they are, err on the side of caution. I, I totally agree with erring on the side of caution. Um, there, you know, it's, it's funny as we, we talk about these things, and I'm just going to go back to something Leon said for a second. Uh, when you said the, like, down, what do you call it? Down home wisdom? Kind of thing, the right? yeah, backwoods. Mr. The backwoods Smith goes to Washington. Which, yeah. as, right. as everyone notices, I am wearing my big heavy work boots today. Right. Um, there, was, there was something I was reading in your book that was, uh, you know, don't try to calm a person who is upset because an event happened. Mm. And I forget, was it they didn't, get an, um, they didn't get an alert in their monitoring system and they're upset. And it's not, you shouldn't try to calm that person down. It, yeah, it, I forget what was the story exactly. So it's it uh, it the, there's there's a particular kind of why that comes up, and it's it's not a I wonder why that happened. The logical, inquisitive one. It is the why me why kind of thing. And, and as much as we joke about that, when somebody is in that moment of asking that emotional why, there's not an answer. You, and if you try to answer, you're the jerk. And what you need to do, you need to have responses. You need to know how to uh, speak reflectively or emotionally and to be empathetic with that person. But until they work through that, that why moment of, of, you know, why God, why kind of thing. And as much as, you know, we don't try to say God's name at, at work, you know, it's, it's one of those boundary lines. The fact is, is that when the order entry system that generates $167,000 a minute has been down for an hour, um, you are saying, why me, God, why? You know, we are all on the Sev one call asking that. My thought was, as I was reading that passage in your book, was, you know, don't try to, don't try to call that person. You know, the old down home saying is, don't feed a fire that's burning hot. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's there's obviously parallels maybe mm -hmm. between the two different flaws or I wouldn't even call them different philosophies, just different viewpoints. So I, I want to get back to something um, that uh, that Jordan mentioned uh, here. He said um, nobody wants you to be a robot, and I'm going to challenge that. I'm going to be the devil's advocate here because I think there is somebody who wants you to be a robot, and that is the the business. Um, despite, you know, what uh, the, the current legal philosophy that businesses are people, um, truly businesses are not people. Businesses are businesses. And the business doesn't want you to be you. The business doesn't want you to be interesting. And the business doesn't care if you're entertained. The business wants you to come to work and do your job. 
And perhaps we need to think about that as well. If you're going to bring yourself and if you're going to bring your wisdom and if you're going to bring your personality to it, um, you know, that actually can put you uh, run afoul of, of the business. I, I think this is incredibly misguided. Uh, and the reason why I think this is misguided, I don't disagree with you. I think that it's reality, but I think it's misguided. And the reason why it is, is no one's ever been passionate because of a task list. People are passionate about teams. People are passionate about goals, but people are not passionate about task lists. So you want teams of passionate people because teams of passionate people accomplish great things. And if you as a company want to accomplish great things, you need passionate people and you don't get that from, from drones. So I agree with that. Um, however, I do think the business, what the business wants is a consistent work product. They want consistent output. However, you get there. You know, whether you need five minutes of meditation, you know, in the morning or, uh, you know, or whatever it is, if that helps you get consistent work product, the business will be fully supportive. However, I think there's a more insidious issue with this, which is the, what I'm going to call the cult of geek, which is, you know, what are your hobbies? Well, you know, what do you do in the evenings for fun? Oh, I code. I have a side project where I'm, you know, working on a, a open source thing on GitHub or whatever. But you're a programmer during the day. I know. I just can't get away from it. And that become, has become lionized in IT culture that we are geeks in the office and then we're more geeky at home. And if it's not coding, then it's, you know, oh, I'm getting ready for the cosplay at Comic-Con. And, you know, oh, if it's not that, it's, you know, I'm binge watching Babylon 5 for the 15th time. I'm going to a dramatic reading of, you know, the Lord of the Rings for, you know, every month or whatever, like the more geeky, the better, as much as, you know, reading and music and stuff like that are, uh, you know, par valid parts of people's out of work life. I think that the glorification of geekiness and how much, uh, you know, how much I am at work is also who I am at home has become like a goal. That leads to such serious burnout right. that we lose people constantly with that. Um, I think, especially as we get older, as as employees in IT, and you know, IT is constantly changing, is constantly evolving. We have to constantly be learning new things, and there comes a point in time where I think, uh, and you know, and I saw this when I worked in a hospital. We had a mainframe, and then they decided to virtualize the mainframe and move it offsite. You know, we had a team of like 25 mainframe people and the business said, you know, we will put you in a different position if you are willing to learn new skills. And out of those 25 people, 15 left the company because they didn't want to learn new stuff. And, and they were, you know, they were all mainframe people. So they're all, you know, 45 or older mainly. And uh, they just didn't want to do it. They were done. And I know like one guy actually went to work in a machine shop. Um, which brings me to the craftsman part of IT because I think that's something mm -hmm. we, we craft things, we build things, right? But but learning new software, building new, it, it's just it's hard to do when you have kids and a family. Well, and, and, and well, and I'll say that that it's hard to do when it's all you do. It's hard to do when I'm going to learn a new thing and then I'm going to learn another new thing and gosh darn it, I'm going to have to learn this other new thing and I have nothing else to feed me, to feed my soul. If, on the other hand, learning new IT things is simply one of a range of things that you do and you're allowed and you have a safe space to express that at work, that you do talk about deep sea diving off of Maui and you do incorporate, you know, like 
I know it sounds silly, but you know, your code notes, why am I doing this? Because, you know, I wanted the code to remind me of, you know, the things that I saw or whatever it is, right? I'm, I'm making up these ideas and sometimes they're a little weird. Um, but I think that when you are a more rounded person, when you're able to incorporate those things, learning that next new IT thing, like, yeah. And next week I'm going to learn a new carpentry thing and I'm going to learn a new whatever because we're humans and we learn. But when we become hyper-focused, that's when things become a grind. And so my premise for this is that being, being allowed to incorporate all of ourselves and all of our interests into our IT work product makes that work product more consistent, uh, Stephen, to your point, but, and makes the business happier. But also, all of a sudden, work changes. It's not just, I go to work with a bunch of IT folks, whether they're sysadmins or network engineers. I go to, to work with a bunch of IT people, and we do IT things, but I'm also hearing about his, you know, cooking and her, you know, uh, rugby football and their uh, swing dance experience, whatever it is. And not just like, oh, this is what I did over the weekend, but... This is this is how I'm going to do a better rollout, a better patch upgrade. So businesses really ought to care about people. Um, and, and, you know, in, in in education, it's called rapport. I, I don't know if you know about this. Teachers are taught to to build rapport with students. Um, business people are not taught to about building rapport with people. And uh, you know, MBAs. Uh, you know, I, I, at least not that I've heard of. MBAs are not taught to build rapport with employees. Uh, I think that that's maybe something that uh, that we should look upon. We should look at. But um, what I'd like to do now is kind of turn this a little bit and say, okay, so if we're allowed to bring ourselves to work, um, how can that specifically benefit the work product? Now, not just um, by having camaraderie and by having a work environment that we don't want to die every time we <laughs> arrive. How can we? Um, how can we specifically improve the work product? Because that's the interesting aspect here is that you were able to draw inspiration from the religious side of things in terms of, I mean, the, I'm obviously not qualified to speak on this in, in, in detail, but you know, my understanding is that the reason for those four questions on that day is to, um, it's specifically open-ended and it's specifically to uh, basically bring people uh, into it and bring people awareness of it and get them asking things in a way that they will truly digest what's going on. And you were able to use that and say, you know, this, this same philosophy of inquisitiveness can bring people into this kind of dry topic of monitoring. So I think that one of the, one of the direct benefits of bringing your outside interests is that you stop seeing problems as problems. Um, that because because you're look you're working in a different a totally different modality or context that approaches a particular hurdle or particular issue in a different way you now look at your IT issues and say well what if that was you know a horse how do i get how would i get a, a, a reticent horse to approach the 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 jump how would i get a past the fact that i need to make creme brulee but i'm not allowed to use milk you know or whatever it is um so an example of that is, you know, in IT, we react violently against people who are skeptical to our work product. That when we go to a meeting and we put something out and it's our baby and we are we love it and we've worked on it and people start to shoot it down, we can become very, very resistant to that and offended. 
And that's not healthy. And one of the things that came out in the writing of this book is the idea of the four sons. Um, again, during the Passover Seder, we talk about the four sons, the scholar, the skeptic or the rebel, the um, simple one and the silent one. And at first, everyone says, oh, well, which one are you? And which one is it good to be? Well, you know, everyone wants to be the scholar. Nobody wants to be the rebel and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> Josh is like, nope, nope, me. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm the rebel. I'm I'm that. So, you know, we start. and But that's actually not the point at all. The point is actually to the teacher. Not the, you know, what kind of student are you? No. If you want to teach something, you have to be ready for all four types of people. The one who doesn't even know what to ask. How do you engage them? How do you get them inquisitive enough to open their mouth? The one who only asks simple questions. You can't answer them with every, you know, with the full stack answer because you'll overwhelm them and it'll be too much. But the rebel, the skeptic is the one that gets all the focus. Like, oh, you need to shut them down. You need to, uh, no, because he showed up. The opposite of love is not Hatred. The opposite of love is apathy. Indifference. Right? So that the person who shows up to that meeting where you're showing off your technical solution and starts to poke holes in it cares enough about it that they want to make it better and they're going to point things out. Okay, we all know that the office has that person, right? The one who just loves to troll. I'm not talking about that. Yeah, toxic. I'm talking about... but. What the Passover Seder brought for me was that the people who are skeptical are fully engaged. They showed up at the table. They want to participate in the conversation. Okay, maybe they're not the most socially wonderful person to deal with, but they're there. And you need to appreciate that because that's how it's going to get better. Yeah, so so my take on this isn't that there's going to be some appreciable – Increase by allowing your personality to come through. I think that I think the the real difference is that your personality is going to come through whether you admit it or not. But by not being able to admit it in the workplace, it's going to be this hidden thing, right? The idea is we are just a culmination of our experiences and the way we approach the world, our challenges, our problems, all the things that we deal with are are not just based off of my experiences at work, but they're based off of my experiences at home and the I- individual things I pursue. And so my perspective is molded by all of those experiences. But if my coworkers don't know what those are and don't know my perspective, I'm an enigma. I'm very hard to work with, right? As I understand somebody, not just their technical capacity, but their their personal belief system and some of the things they do, I better understand the way they approach things and I can better communicate with them. And so I think that there's an efficiency that's gained by not having everybody in the office be an enigma. I think that's really the difference for me. I'm going to go a step further. I don't think that we have become better as a society because the workplace has become less uh, multivaried. I think that we have become worse as a society because we have we spend a lot of time at work. We spend many many hours at work, and we ha- if we have no longer found the way at work to amicably disagree and to stand quietly in opposition to what my coworker may bring to the you know what that's a lifestyle choice that's a personality choice that's a whatever I don't like any part of it, but you know what? We're going to still roll out this software. We're going to still, by by removing those aspects, by making it verboten to have those things in the workplace, we have lost the skill to politely disagree. And I don't think that that has helped us as a, in a, as a society in any way. And on that point, that actually reminds me of uh, another one of the 
third rails that we're not supposed to touch, which is politics. And um, I don't know if you guys have heard about this Facebook thing. Have you heard about this? It's a fad. It's a fad. It'll never it'll never hit. So what I've noticed is um, in this book of faces is that people are just horrible to each other. And especially when it comes to politics, it, you know, um, if if. Uh, maybe we've gotten to the point where we can accept uh, that people have different religious beliefs and not hate them for it. Uh, I apparently we haven't gotten to that point as a as a as a whole, but maybe some of us have. Um, it, but it seems like we haven't gotten to that point when it comes to politics. And um, and you know, if you are, you know, I can see some very clear parallels between political beliefs and um, business functionalities. In other words, you know, maybe you are somebody who is, uh, you know, very conservative, um, you know, then that would impact how you approach a change control process. You know, maybe you're someone who's very, um, you know, open and accepting, you know, maybe that would affect your security posture. There's all sorts of IT implications of politics that we can't touch. I think that the less sophisticated people get in knowing how to discuss something, the more easily it's weaponized. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's happened is that regardless of platform, um, because again, we don't know how to politely disagree. And that became obvious to certain factions that it was easily weaponized because we don't know how to deal with it. Well, but on that point, um, what I found, or at least what I believe is going on is that a lot of our electronic communications, because they filter out nuance and real personal interaction, it makes it easier to be more radical in your beliefs. It makes it easier to overlook other people's arguments and overlook other people's points. And I'm wondering if that, um, you know, kind of what's happening with people discussing politics on Facebook, is that relevant to what's happening with people discussing the expense process on Slack? I, I think I think it there's a, a credible parallel here. It there's a, a a dehumanization that happens. I think that 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 is why we see things on Facebook happen that are is such that become such strong arguments because a political figure is no longer a a person who holds beliefs. They are simply their beliefs. And so I can attack them. I've seen people cheer people's deaths, right? And I and I think it's just horrid, right? Like, yeah, you may not agree with them at all. But like they're a human being with families and whatever, and you see that disappear in that world. And when we talk about in the office and the fact that, you know, if we all come in and be drones, I think we're doing the same thing, right? Like our, our value in an office place, if we can't bring our personality is simply our technical skills. And if we're wrong technically, then we are just a hundred percent wrong, right? Like it, it, it's just compartmentalization makes it a, makes it a challenge to have, you know, real human interaction and empathy. So I have, I have two things to say. First, I want to address something you just said there, Jordan. Um, if we don't have the technical acumen to reduce at work, we're 100% wrong. I, and this is something you know, I I have been accused on multiple times of being very hardcore about this is my technical line. We do not cross it. If your design is bad, it's bad, period, end of story. Um, and I see that myself. And it, but the only reason I see that myself is uh, – because I can understand that this person tried to put whatever it was, a piece of software or an architecture or something together, and it's not quite right. And here's why it's not quite right. To, to be a constructive criticism, uh, that is important to have, right? 
one of the things about about the the political discourse and and stuff and slack and oh, things like that is, is that is that it it sort of it demonstrates plato's cave you know or the shadows on the cave all of a sudden if if you have no other human connection besides a very narrow band of conversation whether it's politics on facebook or it's the accounting process on slack or whatever it is if that is the only interaction and the only conversation that you have all of a sudden you're not seeing uh the whole person you're seeing a shadow of the person and so you have as humans we fill in the gaps with what we imagine and what we imagine is almost always worse than the reality and Again, that is that speaks to the idea of people being comfortable with and free to bring more of themselves, a more uh, layered, nuanced aspect of themselves, not just, again, not just to the walking into the office, hey, what'd you do over the weekend conversation, but also the... You know, why did you write the code that way? Actually, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, passage from this history book that I was reading, and I realized that, you know, attacking it from this angle was just like, you know, uh, yeah, something that Napoleon did, right, or whatever, like you know, <laughs> Hannibal over the mountain, you know, whatever it is, and you know, all of a sudden, the whether or not that was a great approach for coding or a great approach for implementation, the person who's listening to you explains like, oh, I had never. I had never thought, I'd never thought to think of tech in the context of a historical military excursion. Let me think of it. Let me chew on that for a minute. That's, wow, you see it like that? That's incredible. Like that deepens everyone's view of each other. On the idea of, of, of tech and, and you know, using those point of views, there's a, there's a book that I read as a young man called uh, Miyamoto Musashi. He wrote a book called The Book of Five Rings, which mm -hmm. is all about becoming you know, the, the greatest swordsman you can be, right? But if you take it out of that swordsman context and apply that to tech, that's that's kind of my view of it. I want to be the greatest engineer I can be. Now, is that bringing a part of myself to work, or is that using myself to hone my work? I don't know. But mm -hmm. you can see how it, it would affect someone's, uh, well, how they approach things. <laughs> I would argue it's both, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I don't think it's an either-or proposition, right? It, it's both, right? You bring your experiences with you. Whether they're acknowledged or not, you are a culmination of your experiences, including your tech acumen is going to be based off of your the time you've put in putting into learning the tech as well as the surrounding experiences of your life. So what I don't think you can separate the two. What you bring is who you are. And I guess that's uh, maybe the the real outcome of this is that um, no matter how much we would wish sometimes that people would keep it to themselves, um, <laughs> they're not going to. And, you know, I think that that's maybe another thing that we've all seen in the office. Um, I spent a lot of time on the, on the floor of IT operations, and uh, none of those people can uh, keep it to themselves because that's who they are. And in fact, not keeping it to yourself is part of the geek mantra, the geek manifesto. That's, that's what it means to be a geek is to not keep it to yourself. And so maybe uh, the question is irrelevant, um, whether it's beneficial to the business or beneficial to your work product uh, to bring yourself to work or to not bring yourself to work. If you can't not bring yourself to work, then you're going to do it anyway. And so maybe we need to figure out the right way. Now that we've uh, discussed a lot of different angles of this, I was wondering, can we get some closing thoughts from everybody? Let's start with you, Josh. My summary, personally, I understand that people are, are rounded individuals. They have a whole, whole uh, 
gamut of, of views and habits and hobbies and this and that and the other. The only thing that really matters to me when I'm in the workplace with somebody is they do their work, they do it well. I don't care if they're trans, straight, black, white, I don't care. As long as they do good work and they're not a, a constantly grumpy, negative jerk, um, I can work with pretty much anybody. Uh-oh. I guess my final takeaway is even if you feel that this other aspect of yourself is somehow, you know, not important, you know, uninteresting, if it feeds you and if it uh, makes you a a more uh, excited if it makes you more excited to come to work and it actually deepens your experience of IT, then you absolutely should find a way to incorporate that and not worry about uh, being censored so much. Because the reality is that as humans, we want to reach out to each other. We want to know more about each other. And um, everybody is going to be enriched for you having shared that. Any closing thoughts, yeah. Jordan? Yeah, so I guess my takeaway from this is that uh, you do your best work when you're passionate, and you're passionate when you're able to be your whole self, and and you're not burned out, and you're able to bring everything that you know to the table, and that provides value. So <clears throat> I think that we do that uh, regardless of whether or not we like to admit or whether we like to talk about it or whether or not we're allowed to talk about it <laughs> at work, and I think that I think that pro- prohibition of 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 not being able to talk about things. Uh, that affect us uh, and the way we think is actually detrimental to teams, uh, and I think it's 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 a, one of those challenges that I think we need to uh, that we need to work through. Um, obviously, with balance, because the the challenge is is that you know you don't want to be offensive, you don't want to you, you don't want to advocate, you don't. I'm not there to sell you on it, but I am who I am. I'm the culmination of my experiences, and that's the value I bring to the table. When people talk about being who you are, they're really talking about being your best self. Yeah. You know, that's be that's best. the point is yeah, yeah. You're trying to be you're trying to be the best expression of who you are. Um the one that is the most useful I want to say useful, the most uh uh pr- well, yeah, productive um the you know, it is the best expression of who you are and who you want to be in this world. Thank you for listening to the on-premise IT roundtable. If you enjoyed this discussion, remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes, since that really helps our visibility. And please share the show with your friends and coworkers. This podcast was brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.